Sonic State Roscom. Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 148. I would like to apologise at this point because the intros are a little bit disjointed. Uh, I had to cobble together an edit because I had a recorder malfunction uh, which left us uh, lacking in a little bit of material that we recorded. Big apologies and I hope you forgive me. Uh, but in the meantime, please enjoy the podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 148. Um, this is going live, uh, it's recording live now, uh, if you're in the chat room, uh, welcome to you, sonicstate.com forward slash live, as is your want, that's 4pm uh, UK time on a on a Wednesday, um, so please do come and join us uh, if you feel the urge, uh, there's a live chat room and uh, you can listen to the show streaming while we go, and uh, lots of people in there this week, so nice to see you all. Uh, and also, uh, really nice to, to welcome Diego Stocco, sound designer extraordinaire, diegostocco.com. In fact, Diego's uh, just released his Experibase, the latest piece uh, from the Diego sound design and instrument mangling <laughs> workshop. <laughs> hey, Nick. <laughs> How's it going then, Diego? Very good, thanks. Your latest good. instrument has uh, seen you develop skills as a luthier, as you've... Uh... Well, I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> I've been working with hammers and screwdrivers uh, for a while <laughs> before playing it, even after, because I was playing with forks and spoons, you know. Yeah, I saw the forks and spoons. Yeah. I was thinking, wow, how did you get to, uh, to, to pair those two up? That's an exciting exciting concept well thanks <laughs> so um i've noticed that uh, yeah I, I i do jest i mean i didn't see you necessarily fretting some because but what you did is basically you took the double bass and you attached what was it two violins or viola what did you attach to it it's a violin viola cello neck uh, and then um, there's the cello bridge uh, another uh, double bass uh, bridge uh, where i I attach the strings of the violin and viola. It's a mess. It looks like a mess, but it sounds pretty nice. And uh, uh, I don't have any technique, really, because uh, I'm not a, ba- a bass player. So I, <laughs> I just came up with something to make some uh, sounds that seems nice to me. That's <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I mean, lots and lots of, I mean, loads of body. I mean, it must have been easier to work because the thing actually made a big noise rather than tiny, tiny little noises. Yep. Yeah, but that's part of the beauty, you know. It's a, it's a living organism, maybe. Is it, is, it, <laughs> is it still alive? Is it something that will survive? Oh, yeah, Does it yeah, survive yeah. the process? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing some other stuff with it. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm planning to keeping it alive for a while and um, hopefully uh, start working on the second version uh, whenever I have a chance. I don't know. If I break this one, I will have to work on the second version. <laughs> oh, dear. Is that oh, Mark, Mark Tinley? That must be, and uh, and your 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 cat. Uh, it was yes, and I had to drive like an absolute maniac to get here on time. I'm amazed <laughs> that I made it by five past four. Actually, well, that's very kind of you. I, I hope you didn't, um, you know, endanger um, the life of yourself or anybody else. But uh, I know you. The need for speed is runs strong through your veins. It was all fueled by dark chocolate and screaming children, so it's fine. And now by screaming cats, in fact. But, officer, I've got to get to the show. You don't understand. Indeed, yes. And he, at which point he would say, you mean Sonic Talk? I listen to that all the time. On your way, son. In fact, would you like to give <laughs> me to give you an escort? You could possibly miss that. I'm a little worried, though, because I haven't actually researched any of the topics, so I might not have anything to say at all on anything. Well, we'll see. I'm sure I can find something. Right, we'll, uh, we'll introduce a couple more guests. Uh, we've also got, uh, we've got a sort of double, uh, uh, a double header in the form of Dave Spears from GeForce Software. Hello. Hello. And, um, uh, and Dale Davis, who I believe, is he related? He's bro- brother-in-law, I believe. Uh, yeah. And, and this is going to be really hard because you both sound quite, uh, quite similar. Uh, Dale Davis, a uh, bass player of, well, international standing. I was looking you up on MSN Music, and uh, as well as all the work that you've done with uh, Amy Winehouse Band and various other people, it also says that you mastered something called Some, Some Stupid with a Flare Gun by the Ass Ponies. <laughs> well, how you doing, Dale? Yeah, I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, and uh, it's it's always good to uh, to have new guests, and I'm very pleased that you've uh, you've taken the plunge and joined us. Hope you're not feeling too nervous. Uh, no, not at the moment. I will be by the end of it, though. Any more information that I could throw at you, apart from your uh, f- famous ass ponies gig, is has uh, <laughs> proved very difficult. So uh, if there uh, is yeah, anything, well, just f- forward it, and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, I share the same name as a basketball player, so uh, yeah. he gets he gets all the hits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Is he? Yeah, is he pro as well? Yeah, he's pro and very famous. He's the millionaire then. Yeah, that's just, right. Just remember that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, well, let's uh, let's also join. Uh, ask. Uh, well, let's start. Let's say Rich Hilton as well. We've got uh, Rich Hilton from the other side of the uh, the pond. Rich Hilton is uh, a Grammy winning recording engineer, multi platinum disc chief engineer, and director of studio operations for nearly thirty years in various places. And design studios work with massive directors: Francis Ford Coppola, William Friedkin, John. Lay- oh, I, the name go. The list goes on. How are you, Rich? Very well, thank you. Out of breath after all of that. Well, you know, <laughs> I feel I've been neglecting you recently, and I wanted no, to no, make no. sure I, I kind of got the facts right. No, 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 I'm cool. Well, at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius, uh, I'll introduce a couple of people, and then maybe we'll come back to you, Rich, because I know you've had a very busy couple of weeks what, with uh, checking out new gear and stuff. We'd love to hear what you yeah, think about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. I'm just weirded out. Are you? Why? What's weird about you? Well, actually, what I've decided is this is the perfect way of expanding the number of people involved in this podcast, because I'm convinced that Dale is actually Dave through a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Because they have very similar comic timing, and they laugh in a very similar way. And I'm like thinking... If we wanted more people on the podcast, we could just sit here with like, the pitch shifters and just oh, just going to go down fifty cents or something, and and I could be I could be Marty as well, couldn't I? Mark and Marty. Right. No, I disagree with I, Howie. I think they <laughs> definitely sound very similar. They have very similar rhythm to the way they speak and comic timing. It's really simple. I'm just thinking, what a hell of a rhythm section you two guys must make when you play together. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how we that's how we know each other. <laughs> oh well there you go. Bass and drums. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And you obviously both don't go for the same fill at the same time. No. I don't feel I leave that to Dave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sure he could, he's got and I just fill all the time. Phil <laughs> yeah. blindly, I think, is your stage name, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mark Chinley, autismhero.com. Thank you very much. We're now jumping over to the other side or a different part of America. Well, no, the other side of the pond, actually, to Minneapolis, where we're talking live to Emmy-winning composer PJ Tracy. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Yourself? Yeah, great. Uh, I know you've had a very busy couple of weeks, and every time I've been getting loads of e- emails from you saying, I'd love to come, but I've been up all night working on a, on a, on a piece once yeah, again. So. and I was up last night until about 3 o'clock in the morning, so I'm, I'm jacked up on loads of coffee this morning and ready to go. <laughs> What a trooper. <laughs> okay, well, if you start to hyperventilate and I hear the chair fall over, I'll know what's happened. I'll just call 911 and we can get them to uh, whatever it is they give you to, to, calm you, to take your heart back down. Actually, I, just, I bought um, a, 20, a 28-inch monitor. And, oh, yeah, uh, cool. It's sitting right next to me on the desk, and it's so entrancing that there might be a, a point in the show that I just sort of drift off and... <laughs> You know, become hypnotized by my by my new technology. I'm thinking this thing is so big that I might, uh, you know, build a homestead and take up residency inside of it. Wow, nice. Well, what did you get, by the way? Uh, it is a uh, I, I can never remember the Hans G. Oh, okay, uh, I've not heard of that one. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's uh, it was relatively inexpensive. Um, this particular computer i don't use for any uh you know any graphic stuff so it doesn't have to be a you know an absolute powerhouse but the resolution looks fantastic so it's good for me cool well pj tracy music for all your pj tracy needs you can see what he's up to and i think that is the whole team we've got a good good amount of people in here today so uh, thanks very much for everybody joining us um let's start with quickly because i know rich hilton we'll go back to rich because rich has been checking out lots of gear and we did talk about melodyne dna last week but i want to uh i downloaded it because i i very kindly they gave me an nfr and i went and checked it out so i just want to do a quick demo of what i did with this uh what was the piece i did now is the D- is the mozart oboe course uh, KV370. Right. It's the original version. And a sort of minored modal change. 
and that was performed and that wasn't changing all the notes that was just kind of changing the key and that's that blew me away and i'm still kind of getting over the magic of it i know we did wax lyrically about this for a lot of time last week but it's such a massive deal and i know rich you texted me or uh, twittered that you just got it and you were like blown away by it are you still feeling as uh, as blown away by by the melodyne dna technology pretty much so yeah it's still i mean i keep going back to it and playing it again to make sure it'll still do what i heard it do last time <laughs> it's remarkable <laughs> i mean this kind of thing is uh i mean i guess it's going to be really useful i was talking to a chap the other day who was saying they were doing some equestrian recordings and obviously it's still a beta and they're not supposed to use it on sort of important projects but he said you know they got to the brass was out of tune with itself and they're thinking oh no what we, we can't re-record or we'll have to re-record and what they actually did ended up doing is running this on it and they tuned they straightened out the brass so it was in tune with itself amazing wow <sighs> So, you know, the multi-track was saved, which is, I mean, that's, you know, that's incredible, really. All that kind of stuff. Can I say but, something about this technology yeah, that's getting in course. everything? Has anybody else got an iPhone and noticed that version 3 is doing something weird to speech? No. no. I've noticed that when I'm listening to spoken voice audiobooks on my iPhone, it almost sounds like the formand of the person speaking is on an LFO and it doesn't actually always do the same thing. So if I, if I hear something and it sounds like someone's talking, it's happening in the background as a sort of a double to their voice. But when I spin it back and go, did that just happen and play it back again? I hear the format shifting around in a different space. So it's almost like the filters are doing something to try and decode the mp3 they've changed something and it's really flipping me out because it makes it very difficult for me to listen to my audiobooks because i'm hearing people talking like this and then they're going like that and it's almost like there's a sort of a, a very low slow <laughs> chorus. That is, that is. are you sure you don't have any plug-in uh, op- <laughs> that's any- kind of strange well, well, you know- well everyone else who has engineers ears please listen to their iphones and some listen to some spoken word and see if that's going on and i actually oh, I, I actually wonder if there's one air digidesign plugin which is designed to make things a little bit wider which actually messes around with a slow lfo on formants and i'm wondering if it's people have started putting that on things and i'm hearing that because it's on new recordings that i'm i've heard it i wonder if there's just a modification to the uh well, I don't know, the, the way, the chips that decode the MP3s, I don't know. Well, on audiobooks on iPhone now, there's a new button that's just turned up in the top right-hand corner that allows you to play it twice as fast or half speed. But when it's on times one, just normal speed, I'm hearing this four-man thing going on, and I'm just, it's, it's something I've just noticed. Oh, right. Well, Akai Pete in the chat room says, I listen to audiobooks all the time, no problems. Um, do you mind if I just... Asio had, has said we're talking about Melodyne, Mark, but Melodyne <laughs> works by shifting the formats of... That's the, very true. Uh, st- that's how I'm linking this. If just No, I got you. I got you. Oh, that's I've gone great. off on such a tangent. It's not... <laughs> Fair it's enough. Not necessarily. <laughs> but Rich, if I could just come back to Rich quickly and just sort of say, what's, what's the most challenging thing you've thrown at it and what's the, you know, that has made you go, wow, that really is better than i expected or, or not as good as i expected the dna I transferred something out of my iphone no i'm just kidding um <laughs> i uh i put up some guitars from that nile had played years and years ago from songs that never got released and uh messed around with the voicings and the articulations and the loudnesses and the transposed a few things and you know just basically played around with the polyphonic stuff that I, right. I, I thought that would be, you know, that's probably a challenge I'm likely to come up with sometime soon is he's going to go, that's great. But what if I had voiced it like this? And, you know, so I started from there and that's what I used. I, I wish I could tell you it was more extensive, but I spent, I did a few of them, but it was fun. So isn't your experience uh, moving the stuff around with, uh, it's not altering the sound in a bad way. Cause I saw the, the, the demo and everything. And of course, the demos are supposed to sound great, but I wanted to know, you know, from your experience, if you notice something that uh, is really weird. Uh... Nothing in nothing any more so than the current Melodyne studio would do. Uh-huh. 
So whatever you hear Melodyne Studio doing now, the release version, uh, you can get out of that too in terms of artifacts. And if you go too far and if you stretch right, the no- right. if you yeah, stretch yeah. the note length too far. I mean, it sounds basically just like Melodyne for good and for bad, you know. No, oh, right, yeah. So it's no different. It's just no, no, but I'm more, yeah. sure, sorry, I was just gonna say it, it it is really revolutionary. There's a bunch of stuff that gets released as a revolutionary but this one really seems to be one of those uh, and i'm really looking forward to start using it just to try it because i'm really curious to work with the polyphonic stuff so mm. yeah. dale i'm oh, sorry um or pj i suppose we haven't spoken to you yet either about this um did, has it uh, has it kind of piqued your interest are you thinking i could do some really cool things with this Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, I've got a quick question for you guys, though. I was watching the videos on the Celemony site, and um, their instructor, who's going through the the way to control the beta version of the software, was mentioning that um, you will get in most audio uh, files that you you process using the new Melodyne plugin uh, these artifacts, these overtone artifacts. Have, did either of you notice that? And how easy was it to eradicate those from the file? Yeah, I, I you, noticed yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, okay. You okay. Do. And, and I did try a few things where you could see, like, uh, what did we try? We put vocals in from some some polyphonic vocals in, and where pitches cross, it yeah. doesn't really know the difference between, you know, for. For argument's sake, an alto voice descending Mm -hmm. into a tenor voice ascending. Mm -hmm. Where they eat, it doesn't know which one is which. It quantifies it as one thing. Okay. Okay. So I really do believe that the detection is pitch-based and not in any way harmonically derived. Now, I could You mean it quantifies G-sharp and A-flat as the same thing? Well, not only that, but if, if the oboe and the bassoon are both playing... D flat on the same pitch, it uh, doesn't it know which one is which. All right, okay. right, yeah, I guess so. Uh, but well, anyway, that, that would know. be that would be awfully difficult to do, don't you think? I, I mean, would imagine, one, yeah, one would have thought this was awfully depends, difficult. But it depends, <laughs> how far apart, <laughs> depends how far apart the signature format of the instruments are, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it should be able to detect the same pitch of. Uh, a double bass as opposed to a piccolo would probably have very different bass frequency formats, wouldn't they? That's right, but they do tell you that fully polyphonic, like large performances, like mixes or full orchestral stuff is very hard to predict Mm -hmm. the outcome. And where where they did have in their demo a jazz piece, I think it was Chet Baker, where they were able to pull the trumpet out from a piano bass and drums rhythm section and play with the melody when you get into more complex harmonic interactions than that i think it gets a lot dodgier and it's really intended to work on like a brass section or a guitar part or you know a group of flutes or something or you know or or even a woodwind octet but where the pitches cross it won't know which one is which well, the example that they show on their on their website is interesting. The guy sits at a piano and he plays an octave, a uh, middle C and the C above middle C, and then he says, "Now it's difficult for the human ear in a lot of cases to tell that an octave is being played or whether or not this is just a fundamental note with an overtone." And he says, "Melodyne, um, the new Melodyne DNA will have the same struggle in attempting to try to figure out whether or not." this is one fundamental note being played with an overtone or whether it's two separate notes. And then the way that it shows up inside the program is uh, with the, the initial C being shown and this hollow uh, note blob an octave above it. And you have to choose whether or not that, that hollow note blob is an actual note or whether or not it's a, it's a, you know, uh, an overtone, right. and if it's an I mean, overtone, it's gonna have, yeah, it's going to have difficulties, isn't it? I mean, it can't do everything perfectly because it, why not? As you say, well, well, it's doing a pretty good job, <laughs> Dale. I just wondered if I could bring Dale in here because uh, I, I don't know whether you're purely a player or whether you kind of get involved in working with stuff on the computer and recording and you know that macro editing that we're all guilty of. Uh, Is that something you do? I do not on the level of you guys, but uh, I do do it. And I, I was impressed with the uh, Melodyne when I saw it last year, the demo version. So uh, the fact that it's doing something like that is amazing, uh, amazing in itself, really. So um, 
Yeah, I think it's great. You know, I, I'm not sure if if it could ever re- replace uh, proper playing. You know, well that that was going to be my next thing because you're very much a player, and that's kind of how you make your living to to most you know most of the time, I would imagine. So, I mean, do you think this is something is going? Can you see this being a threat, or do you think it's just a sort of no? It's a, tool, it's a tool, really. I don't see it as a threat. It, it, it's going to help a lot of people. Um, you know, it's, at least we're going to get vocals that are in tune and stuff like that. Which. I- <laughs> <laughs> Well, of course. I mean, obviously, with uh, someone like Amy, you don't, you probably wouldn't want to flatten it out. And also, she's a great singer. Yeah, so you don't have to do anything that, much but... there. But I do know people you have to do a lot of work on, and including myself on the bass. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I mean, is your uh, just to have interest? Is your Hofner uh, a vintage model or a new model? And do you get intonation issues with something, an instrument like that? It's an, it's uh, it's only two years old, but they've never ever stopped making the design. So it's the same original design made by the same person that they, who's been making it for the last fifty years. So uh, mine, uh, I, mine is fantastic. It, it, you know, literally when I picked it up, it's been. It's, I haven't done anything to it in the time I've had it, and um, as I say, you know, the cha- the design has never changed. So it's yeah, they're still really good. But- I know, Rich, that you also had a chance, while we're talking about revolutionary instruments, there was the Roland V piano that you had uh, a chance to check out. Did you manage to make that uh, demo? I did. And how did you find that? Well, first of all, I I went to a Roland drum clinic hosted by my good buddy Omar Hakim the previous evening, and which was played uh, by a trio of Omar on their new V drums, uh, Jerry Brooks on bass, and Scott Tibbs, the Roland guy, uh, as far as I can tell, highly responsible for the V piano across its 10-year development cycle. Jesus. And um, it sounded wonderful from the stage into the audience. And then the next day, I had an appointment, uh, the day of last week's podcast, to go into New York and spend a couple of hours with Scott and uh, Niall came. And uh, I got to play it for a while. And it's, it's pretty darn wonderful. It's a really satisfying uh, playing uh, experience as an instrument. I learned a little bit about not only the instrument, but about the way I hear by playing it and listening to the decays. Because as our regular listeners will know, I'm a little finicky about what happens behind the attack of, a, of an electronic piano. And sure. uh, I've always wanted to hear things combining something like the way they do in a piano. And what I learned listening to the V piano is that the way things combine in a normal piano has to do with the fact that pianos cannot be put perfectly in tune, much like a guitar, and in that regard. And so the sort of harmonic shifting that you hear through the decay of a held chord across a piano is partially created by the fact that all of those elements are not exactly in tune. And with, right. with the Roland V piano, you can create a virtual piano that is perfectly in tune. And so the decay, while it's realistic, has less of that kind of motion. And I was talking to Scott about it and listening very hard. And he was clearly uh, somewhere between interested and amused by my focus on this. And um, it was uh, sometime thereafter that he showed me their stretch tuning algorithm. Uh, both on screen and, and on the instrument. And all of a sudden, I started to hear parts of what I was missing from all of those sampled pianos I've been sort of mumbling about for the last six months. And um, it occurs to me now, or it actually occurred to me the next day, and I wrote to Scott about it, that what they need to do or what they might want to do is hire eight or ten of the best piano technicians in the world to come in and do a piano tuning on it. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's a great Pretty idea. Cool. And offer them as templates, and that yes. way you have. And I'm sure that's probably what they did with their stretch tuning algorithm. I don't think, uh, unless they just did it mathematically. But I'd be tempted to get real piano tuners on this thing, tuning it by ear, and uh, see Each what happens. Note. Then. Yeah, because right. tuning out tuning uh, maps are usually over an octave, and then they're just duplicated over all the other octaves, aren't they? You want to get somebody to start at the top and the bottom, and then work towards the middle or whatever they do when they're tuning a piano. Right. They need a. There's no reason why they can't have a 
an 80 however many it is note tuning map these days is there? there's plenty of memory well, they, around in these things so well they do they they allow you to tune each note individually they allow you to do remarkable amounts of things to each note individually if you were so you know inclined and you can do things like change the type of metal that the strings are modeling and you can oh, change that's interesting the yeah. length of the sound yeah they have a nickel piano and a sil uh, i believe they have a steel string piano wow. you know, it, um they which does change the the character the timbral characteristics of the instrument and uh perhaps in a pleasant way and perhaps not but you know, for certain applications, you can do remarkable amounts of editing and tweaking within the thing. But what I'm interested to hear is, like I said, some some guy who tunes pianos at you know Avery Fisher Hall coming in and doing his thing. And let's yeah. see. Yeah. That's out. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. In fact, if they use, if they use that, Rich, I think you probably uh, should be in line for a piano of your very own. I hope yeah. so. Charge. Absolutely. And they need to get the, they need to get some old guy that's been doing it way before digital pianos were even invented. It's about time that I do a quick ad. So first of all, I'd like to say thank you very much to our sponsors, who are Roland.co.uk. Uh, they uh, would like to draw your attention to the Juno DI, which is kind of the other end of the scale to the V piano, but still great fun to play as well. It's got a thousand Phantom G derived sounds, uh, 128 voice polyphony, uh, 16 part multi timbral, can be battery powered. It's got a microphone input with dedicated reverb and vocoder effects. Uh, you've got a USB stick which you can plug in to play MP3s, WAVs, AFFs, and standard. MIDI files, so you can kind of run a whole show from it, you know, in, in terms of kind of um, doing tunes and what have you. A great piece of kit. I really quite enjoyed doing the review of it, and uh, I must admit, I was sort of, as I've said in the past, I was a bit worried because I thought maybe it wasn't going to be up to much, but uh, I was surprisingly pleased, and it is. I found it very inspiring. So please do go and check out the Roland uh, Juno DI. It's a great keyboard for kind of beginners, intermediate, or if you're looking for a whole bunch of polyphony, really good unit. Uh, Roland.co.uk, or obviously you can get to it by at Roland.com, and wherever you do if you do buy one and uh, it, it came through us tell them and um, somehow word will get back to them and uh, it'll be it'll be all jolly good from there so i would like to say uh, we really do appreciate roland sponsoring this podcast still roland.co.uk juno di thank you okay um right well i think um we should probably look at this eigenharp thing because this is kind of a fairly major uh, synthesizer is that okay with everybody sure here it comes yeah, yeah. That's a short clip of a pair of eigenharps playing the Moby's uh, theme from James Bond. And now the thing is about this, um, this is it's really hard to discuss because it, uh, the product release is not out there yet. But uh, I don't know if everybody's had a chance to see this. It's called the eigenharp. And it's this amazing instrument that, uh, well, they basically, they say... It's uh, seven, been seven years in the making. It's a musical instrument with more advanced and ex more advanced and expressive than anything you've ever seen. Uh, there's a small company based in the UK. It kind of looks a bit like a, a cross between uh, um, uh, one of those things that you use for um, exterminating flies in a kitchen and an oboe. But with loads of lights on it as well. I, I'm trying to be pleasant about it, but it's, it's so unusual and so difficult to describe. Those are the only ways I could think to talk about it. But... And I'm not totally clear whether all of the sounds are on board or whether it's purely performance or what. Me it's neither. completely random, yeah. you know, because they've not, they're releasing this on Monday in London. There's going to be a couple of uh, events uh, over uh, the mon Monday itself, a morning session, an afternoon session in two separate locations. And it's pretty, I mean, it just looks like an incredible thing, but I can't help but wonder whether or not it looks, it's one of those things that you have to learn how to play. I, I mean, Dale, I don't know if you've seen, did you see a video to this at all? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I was uh, impressed. Um, yeah, it was amazing, really. It looks you like, do it, look, everything, don't you? it looks like a Chapman like, stick sort of, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. With a, a, a reed. <laughs> so, Does that make you feel piece, comfortable? Is that, have you played a Chapman stick? Do you? Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, not at all. That, that, but. I think the thing about it, it is, you know, when I was watching it uh, today, I thought, 
for someone doing adverts and stuff like that, you could just turn up and make, you know, you can just do something there and then, you know, look really that good. I, I think it will always get better with the with the sounds that you can put in I, there. Yeah, I was. I can't, I'm not sure whether it's triggering or whether it's actually you know got samples because it's got sequencer <clears> and arranger <throat> and all sorts of things in there that I'm, it's not very clear as to what that is. I know I, I hesitate no. to ask ask you, Rich, at the moment because I, I suspect it might be entering the Hall of Fame from your point of view. No, I don't know. The thing about this instrument is I really don't know what it is. I don't know what it does. I don't know what it is. I've seen two videos on it now, and I still have no. I, I have very, very little idea what it is. On some level, it reminded me of what I remember to be, I think, the synth axe. There was some guitar that had buttons between each fret. Right. All the way yeah. up and down the, the fretboard. And on some level, it kind of reminded me of that, just looking at it. But I don't know what it is, so I can't. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's very hard. Uh, Mark, I suspect the, uh, the, the the appreciator of things that are slightly strange in you will uh, will be kind of fascinated by what this might be. Is it a long tenorion? <laughs> a long tenorion. That's an interesting way of putting it. With a breath controller. Um, yeah. I, th- I, I don't know. The, the question you have to ask yourself is, would you look cool in a band playing one? Because I, <laughs> when I was like 18, 19, <laughs> some people want, were playing Chapman sticks. And yes, if you're playing jazz, you look cool playing a Chapman stick, don't you? Or if you're Tony like, So many strings on it, you have to right. be really clever to know all these ridiculous chords with 13ths and 11ths and 9ths and all those other things. But... I mean, you know, I mean, I I, I want to go and see the girl, the all girl bands playing iPhones. I think they look cool. I'm not sure if I, <laughs> I don't. Has think this thing got a strap though? I don't want. I don't. I wouldn't want to be the person with you know blowing in the weird thing with the flashing lights. Breathalyzer or something. Breathalyzer test. Yeah. <laughs> Does it have a st- <laughs> probably wouldn't hit any of nowadays, but I, I agree. There is a certain element of you know, does it? It looks very intriguing, don't you think, PJ? But I'm not sure. Cool is something I'd use as a descriptor for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm with the rest of of everyone here on the panel that's completely confused and bemused and any other words that rhyme. Uh, as far as what this thing actually is or does, but I guess the marketing technique that they're using to tease this thing is working because they've got us talking about it for 10 minutes and none of us knows what it is. Well, that's true. I mean, in fact, I, I checked uh, all the searches I did on uh, Eigen Labs, uh, which is um, formed by this guy called John Lambert, who, uh, who's who been making music for, for several years. Um, it said that the company has five employees. One is a production hmm. manager another hmm. one is a, a chief program and the other three are pr and marketing <laughs> so it's sort of but there are other people involved those are the only people that are listed so it's not a fair representation apparently there are 15 people working in the company in london and in devon which is exeter i think is where they're based i think we should but, send diego to the premiere with a chainsaw <laughs> Cut it up. Burn it. To really find out how it works, you know. That's right. <laughs> but the, I mean, if you look at the, the, fir- the first video, which is the, the, the reveal of, of it being made, I mean, it looks like it's got serious, you know, the production looks really kind of serious. I mean, it's going to be very expensive. But there's another thing that they say is there's going to be a series that, due to, it's due for commercial launch in October uh, 2009, our range of instruments are set to change the face of music performance as we know it so i'm guessing that this is uh probably you know just the flagship you know whatever it is the flagship <laughs> instrument of the range and there may the be next other. one will be an ocarina an ocarina with drum pads connected to an harmonica i don't know <laughs> a kazoo <laughs> right <laughs> then the the, the 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 budget one will be a comb yes. with a piece of paper in it. A <laughs> <laughs> blueprint from the, that they showed in the field, the big one. There is a plank quality to it, but I mean, it does look beautifully made. There's all sorts of kind of it's brass and ebony and all sorts of you know. Nice, looks like I mean, I think it's going to be very expensive, as I already said. Oh, it would be great to know if it's a controller or if it has sounds on yeah. its own. It's hard to say, hard to tell from the video. That's my that was my question. And and those it's really difficult. Yeah, yeah. Fr- from the video, I was curious to know because the guy is moving his uh, hand um, on the side of the instrument and is opening the filter. 
But what's happening with the blowing thing? I mean, <laughs> what is it controlling? I think it must uh, be just like a breath controller. We're, and breath controllers, as we know, I mean, they're, they're very under... Uh, underutilized, I think, because they can provide an immense amount of expressivity to all sorts of certainly MIDI-controlled instruments and software instruments. I mean, you only have to look at uh, the Weavy Orchestra stuff, you know, to hear sure, what sure. is basically, you know, it really can bring something to life. So that's a great idea. Great idea. Mm-hmm. If it, if it, you know, so and presumably there are all these other parts that you can stroke and brush and press and what have you that will add expressivity. I mean, where I perhaps get a little bit nervous is when you look at something. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Hacken Continuum, which is beautiful and expressive. But when I was interviewing the guy who's been playing it for ten years, he said, "Yeah, it's really hard to learn." And there's an element of the worry that that might be an issue. But, you know, even if it isn't difficult to learn, it, it may still wind up, uh, you know, a very niche thing like, like the Zendrum controllers. I mean, and those, yeah, are, sure. those are beautiful controllers. Um, and I, I played one at NAMM a couple of years ago and thought, wow, this thing's great, you know. But yeah, but the I Zendrum, it's incredibly easy. I mean, you... <laughs> true, true. But, you know, I, again, I, I didn't rush out and buy one either because I just thought to myself, well... You know, do, do I need another controller? Was sort of my, you know, my thought. On that. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'll ask. Um, let me let me just ask Dale again. I mean, do you are you do you look for kind of MIDI or you know controller stuff that could allow you to express instruments that aren't you know a basic string type? I mean, have you got? Is there such a thing as a MIDI bass or something similar? Well, it's funny actually. I think. Dave uh, gave me the last one to try out what must have been about 15 years ago, PV, and it wasn't very good. I think the problem is with the bass, it's just so hard to track, and I'd love to have uh, used it if there was anything decent out there for the bass. And, and the guitar, the guitar is probably a better version of the bass, so... Um uh, My only worry with that with the, the Argon harp is what happens if it goes wrong? <laughs> There's so many things, uh, you know, when, when they were assembling it, it looked really complicated, so... Um, well, that's true. I mean, that's the that's your touring head kind of coming into uh, into yeah. in, into, I'm into sure play, my, there, isn't it? Yeah, my tech would <laughs> he wouldn't want to do that job at all. So yeah, <laughs> I got, uh, goodness knows what kind of sets of Allen keys and star bolts and all sorts of stuff that that you've got. To, but that is a very good point. And does it have a strap as well? That's the other thing. Maybe yeah, they'll I throw. I, I, think, I think I think they should Can throw you stand one in. Up and play it because yeah, that's right. You know, we're sitting down, and you have yeah, to but, be able to stand up and play. But from it. what you were saying, Mark, you perhaps wouldn't want to stand up and play it because that would be raising your head above the parapet, and everybody would point and laugh. No, not unless you burn it. <laughs> Set fire to it on stage. Yeah. Diego, I feel that there's a, a sound piece. There, there's an opening here for you. You could approach them and say, you know, I'd like to do a video of uh, sound design based. Um, I've done the burning piano. What do you think about burning Eigenhart? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think i can make the intro for you <laughs> introduction to the people that is well eigenharp we will know more on monday and it is quite uh, uh, I, I mean it's a very bold move and these people obviously take it very seriously the thing about jo- um john lambert um it, he the reason this got set up uh, just a little bit of background is uh, apparently what he used to do a lot of performing live with ataris and s1000s and those kind of things and he used to he used to have this kind of, it was like stage fright, but it wasn't stage fright of the actual performance. It was getting there and doing the setup because he never knew whether it was going to work or not. And this whole kind of complexity in the musical setup seemed to kind of drive him towards a more performance-based and maybe um, integrated instrument. So that was what made me think that this has actually got sounds on board and it isn't kind of connected to a laptop with various leads that can be pulled out and whatever. So that's kind of potentially quite an encouraging sign. But as I say, we'll know more. Um, later hmm so is it it might be possible that this thing would sample well it sounded like it didn't it wow cool right i've got to go and uh, get diego uh he seems to have dropped off the line so let me just go and grab him again sorry i mean i didn't know if it was on my end or or uh no i don't think so we oh. tend not to hang up on our guests when we can, <laughs> if we can help it. <laughs> it's very poor public relations, I generally find. But uh, 
<laughs> at least not without a couple of warnings. You know. <laughs> right. I think maybe if I do my second ad, then we're free to kind of roam amongst the rest of the topics because we have got a, a cornucopia of, uh, of topics here today. So let me just uh, uh, introduce our second of our sponsors. We're very pleased to uh, be able to say that we have two sponsors. And this sponsor is Loopmasters.com. And Loopmasters is the number, number one website and sample CD distributor. And they're dedicated to bring you the most inspirational collections of sounds and royalty-free samples from some of the top producers worldwide. It's not just loops. They do kind of whole multi-tracks. There's a really good uh, reggae and dub one, which is actually of an entire live performance that you can just kind of loop up and sample various bits. And it's got it's great because it's got really good feel. But there's a whole ton of stuff, so you should really check them out. Loopmasters.com. In fact, we're doing a special deal. If you want to... Uh, uh, see what kind of stuff they've got available. Um, there is uh, an email address for us. If you start, if you email free stuff at sonicstate.com, we'll send you a link and a little pack of uh, samples to check out, which uh, you may find very exciting. There's a, a dark house collection and also there's a broken beat drum library. Um, that's an email to free stuff at sonicstate.com. You also get the opportunity to sign up for their newsletter, which would be great, of course, because that means that they're getting their money's worth from their ad dollars. But it's not just that. It's also the fact that they do release an awful lot of stuff so it's the best way to keep a uh, abreast of it because you know we haven't got time to keep going back and checking the website every time you want to do this so this is a really good way of doing it. anyway loopmasters.com and email free stuff at sonic state we've also uh, like me to tell you about their uh, monthly podcast uh, they've got uh, some great episodes there interviews with various producers that they work with all sorts of tutorials gear reviews whatever there's a whole bunch of things if you check that out that's at looptv.net so uh, really appreciate uh, loopmasters.com and if you want the free stuff free stuff at sonicstate.com thank you very much for their continued sponsorship I'm Nick from Maloco Studios and this is Pete Hey, and this is the site of the old Orinoco? Or the go- yeah, it was the old Orinoco building. It's uh, now the HQ for Miloco Studios. And Miloco Studios are unique in the fact that they seem to be expanding and not closing down. <laughs> <laughs> How does that happen? Well, we're trying to expand, yes. It's, uh, it's uh, an interesting time at the moment, but we have a, a way of working which we think, and a model which seems to be working in the present time. That was uh, me and them, and Nick Young, and uh, uh, mostly Nick Young. Uh, I went up to Maloco Studios because they were having a uh, a reopening, a relaunch. They've just redesigned a bunch of their rooms, and I shot a couple of studio profile pieces, which uh, one of that's the one of them was put up on Sonic a couple of days ago, and I'll be putting another one up where I interview uh, Pete Hoffman, who's the technical director. But what's amazing about this place is. The Maloco kind of studio collective seems to have six, they've got 16 kind of pretty big studio facilities under their wing. They, they do this amazing deal whereby they co-op with producers and other people uh, to utilize their spaces so that the, these people can continue to work in them. But in the meantime, when, not, when there's downtime, they can rent them out and they run them as a commercial facility. They centralize all the, uh, the uh, maintenance and all the administration. And as a result, they're actually an expanding studio, which is just absolutely unheard of in this day and age. And uh, I've never been there, but it used to be the old Orinoco studios. And uh, Dave Spears, um, you told me that Dale had some, some experience of this. So I guess over to you, Dale. I mean, have you, have you worked at Maloco before or the pool or any of those th- their places? I'm guessing you might have been in. Uh, no. I lied. <laughs> oh, right. Brilliant. <laughs> I have some... No, but some of the studios I, I do know. So uh, things like the battery studios. And there was quite a few on the list, wasn't there? Um, yeah, well, the batteries... Um, that is called a Sultan battery now. It's been taken over by Flood. And I forget the other chap. But uh, that, So that's another facility. But yeah. Oh, it's a cat. Is that, who's got uh, the cat? Sorry, it's mine. <laughs> he just woke up. He was sleeping here on the side of the couch. <laughs> <laughs> You're not performing uh, sort of some kind of audio no, experiments no, 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 on no, him, no, are you? No, no. <laughs> He's the sound engineer. <laughs> our cat is fantastic. I've been doing duets with our cat. You might find one on YouTube, actually. We'll check it out. <laughs> but it's pretty good. I mean, Dale, let's just... I'll come back to you for a slightly different angle then. I mean, it's it's great, isn't it, that studios are actually still alive in London? I mean, because they're, the property prices are just knocking them out of business at a rate of knots. Yeah, and you still, at the end of the day, you can't beat the studio, really. You know, it's the best place to be uh, with a group of people. And um, it is good to see that they are coming back. And a lot of them I actually seen on the list there. It's good to see that they're still going. Um, let's have a look. <laughs> we want to go to Santorini. <laughs> Yeah, Santorini looks good. I don't know. There's uh, it's a producer there who's got this place on San, on the island of Santorini, which is a luxury uh, um, 
residential studio and there's one in the south of Spain. I was thinking maybe, you know, there's, there's calls for me to do more of these studio profiles. And of course, uh, if I could get the funding for it, I might, I might just work. What do you think? Maybe we could get them to do a podcast in uh, the one in Santorini. And then, Rich, after that, we can do the one that you designed in the uh, Caribbean. <laughs> See if we can get a tour together, eh? I'd love it. <laughs> yeah, me too, mate. The Spanish one is um, Trevor Moray's place. Okay. Remember the drummer with Howard Jones and I think it's his and Rupert Hines. Amazing. Oh, really? Place. No, yeah. I, I'm not familiar. I, I, it's not. A, it's not an area of uh, of life I kind of occupy very much. I've been very much sort of laptop and a pair of headphones for many years. So I don't. I did get to go to Olympic and work there for a while, but uh, I mean that's another one that's just closed down again yeah, due that's to property terrible. It's terrible. Now, that's uh, got to be uh, all my favourite albums were recorded there. and It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I know. What's it going to be? It's going to be like sheltered accommodation for uh, <laughs> what? Old, old retired record executives. Probably, yeah. <laughs> or piano tuners. Piano tuners. Piano tuners. <laughs> the Urban Piano Tuners Club. That's quite a good idea, actually, because didn't they have, they've, they've got those kind of community things in New York, haven't they, Rich? Didn't they? I, I, there's, a, there's a place, Chelsea Towers or something, because I remember when we used to work with Sharon Red, she lived in one of these places for a while, and it, it housed kind of tons of sort of resting big name musicians. I couldn't say. I'm out, of my, I'm out of my league on that question. I'm sorry to say. Okay. <laughs> well, fair enough. But related but to Maloko, I- this looks like sort of a franchise environment where yeah. they've decided to bring a bunch of other studios who are having trouble selling their big rooms uh, together onto one page. And, and uh, while they all pay to keep the lights on with their little rooms, uh, try to solicit business through this sort of franchised environment for which Maloko no doubt takes a small percentage yeah i mean i think that's basically it in a nutshell i wish i couldn't have put it better myself thank you um you're, <laughs> is the same sort of thing happening in new york because i mean it must be a no. very similar kind of environment i've not seen this happen in new york i have seen studios acquire other studios in the united states in general for example the hit factory in new york closed their fifth their uh, locations and bought what what had once been Criteria, I think, in Miami, and they opened that as Hit Factory South or so. I mean, so the acquisition of studios takes place, you know, somewhat or did went back when there was a studio business. But um, I've not Where's seen power this. Station at? Is power station closed down? Didn't no, closed. it's actually been called Avatar now for about ten or fifteen years. It's owned by a guy named Kirk Imamura, and. Uh, it still operates pretty much as it did when it was Tony Bon Jovi's place. Right. Uh, there is a place out in eastern Connecticut called Power Station, which was designed by Tony Bon Jovi and is inside of a facility called Sonalists, where my buddy Kurt Ram works. But um, I haven't seen this sort of franchising taking place. But, I mean, presumably the studios are under immense pressure again because property prices in New York must be very high. And, you you know, you can't really sit around with a big empty live room when you could put three apartments in it. Right. Right. And plus you've got to pay off that big console that populates the large room you can't sell. Yeah, well, that's one of the big problems. I mean, that, but that was one thing talking to Nick Young from Maloco is, you know, when they're opening rooms and refurbishing, they're getting these these massive large format consoles at really good prices, you know, now, which I guess is yeah. one positive side. They've got a bunch of Neve VRs, but the thing he did also say was the problem is with the Neves, the maintenance is so incredibly expensive that you've got a base rate of the room that you can't drop below because you it doesn't otherwise you can't afford to replace the the busted caps and the and the lamps that go under the lights and all that you know under the buttons and what have you it just costs a fortune to run these things well we're going on 10 years now where studio complexes keep the lights on in the big rooms by doing work out of the smaller production rooms when i yeah. when i visited abbey road in 2002 uh they were quite they were in that position as well. They were, they were, they do some business obviously out of the larger rooms, but what keeps the lights on for the whole place, I think is the little rooms. Sure. Well, they tend to, because you know, you get your producer coming in and you kind of, re- they resident there and they just start to work there. And then you kind of go, well, you may as well rent this little room at, you know, a reasonable price because you're going to be bringing work in. So they sub- so they, you, you end up with a kind of cooperative situation that's happening in studios around here. Studios which have got a main live room and then as many small rooms as possible. They're filling up with working, jobbing producers and engineers who are bringing projects in and working in there. And then when they need to, they use the big rooms. And that seems to be the only way this is going to work. And the right, whole, well, kidding. The whole building's tied together with land, right? Um, it can be, yeah. I don't yeah. think they all are, but yeah. Well, what's that, that busy design thing called? 
Well, whichever, yeah, or or you know, sneaker net is because uh, Maloko, it's not all networked up. You know, you just kind of take your drives out and put them in another room. It's, I mean, they're the all, all the tie lines for audio, so you can record in, you know, from one room into another control room, whatever. And that's one thing they've done really smartly there. It was very impressive how they've used the space to great effect. Well, I mean, so could I work in a production room and go, I want to use the live room for an hour. Can I just rent it for an hour? And you pay top dollar to rent it because you're only having it for an hour. But I believe you can. I mean, he Nick does go into that. He said the problem is, you know, they're getting four-hour sessions and what have you, which is great. But, you know, if you've got – it takes two and a half hours to set up, which, I mean, Dale, you must have this all the time. If you're going in to do a session, I mean, it does take a while to get everything set up. And then, you know, <laughs> if it's a half-day session, it's like, one, two, three, four, okay, time's up. You know, I mean, there's no – Exactly. No room left. No, oh, that's right. But, but yeah, I mean, this is all becoming. I, I don't know, PJ. Is this happening in uh, Minneapolis as well? Because there must be a bunch of studios there that are kind of <coughs> under pressure too. What I've seen over the course of the last <clears throat> ten, fifteen years in the studio landscape here is kind of disheartening and astonishing. <clears throat> a lot of places closing, <clears throat> other places coming in and kind of cannibalizing the gear. You know, coming in and bu- and buying up sections of the gear opening new places and then six to 18 months later those places close as well and then uh, a couple of those guys get together and open up a new place and currently there aren't um you know we don't have a lot of big rooms anymore we we used to have quite a few more there there are a few one of my friends todd fitzgerald runs a room um right outside of minneapolis um called winterland and it's a big facility. Uh, they've got a, a vintage API console in their A room and, you know, three quarters of a million dollars worth of outboard gear in there. Yeah. But they're renting the room out for as little as $55 an hour. Wow. Uh, it's it, with, with an engineer, with somebody that, you know, really, really knows what they're doing. And, and I, <laughs> I don't know bad. how they're able to, to stay open like that well that's just shocking isn't it? i mean this is the one thing that's the problem i mean the, nick said uh, one of the quotes which i didn't actually use in the end was you know you, you i wouldn't recommend anybody goes into this business you know it's you have to do it because you love it there's no other reason because you're never going to make money and it's always just kind of pretty stressful trying to run this kind of facility yeah and i think these guys you know they do it by doing other things you know they be, they become jacks of all trade they're doing a little you know audio post on video they're putting together radio spots they're doing anything they can inside that facility to make that facility work for them but they're certainly not making the lion's share of of the income or keeping the lights on by bringing bands into their a room and recording them like rich said it's it's you know just a bunch of uh production work and bringing in producers and that type of thing to to work in their smaller five dollars it will be really cheap even for a medium small band to afford a studio like that i mean there's nothing like that in, in Los Angeles for fifty-five dollars, I guess. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. no, it's true. Give Di- us the it's, number. <laughs> it's it's true, Diego, and and I think part of that too. Then again, is is uh, outreach to the community. I, I think a lot of I think a lot of the smaller bands they they know people that have little. Pro- There's tons of project studios in Minneapolis. I mean, you can mm-hmm. you can throw a, a pebble and you hit a project studio. So I think you know a lot of little bands kind of kind of go to where they. Uh, you know where their where their friends go and that kind of thing. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, rather than sort of seeking out the facility in town. I'm, I mean, I'm guessing Dale with um, with the the level of the uh, you know, I mean, because obviously Amy's got a big band and a big name. I mean, you must get to record and play in some of the pretty or must have done in the last four or five years some of the most amazing studios that are still in existence. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the funny thing is, that, I mean, in the UK at the moment, I don't actually see a problem that. The studios always seem to be busy, and, and I know uh, sometimes we just can't get the rooms that we want and, and the places that we want because they're always booked up when you need to get a session. So I think at the moment it's, it's still healthy over here. Obviously, there are a lot of closures and stuff like that, but generally uh, it's, I feel it's all right over here at the moment. Obviously, um, there might be, that you know, we might get hit financially, but I still haven't seen it yet over here, so... Right. It's a, it, you know, it's just what, one of those I mean, do you, do you, do you favor the kind of large live room and just kind of getting on with it and doing it all in one go? Is that the way you like to work? 
Well, it depends on the project and uh, what studio you get at the time. I mean, sometimes if we get a live room and it requires everyone being in the room to do it, then, yeah, you'll, you know, I mean, the last time we used Metropolis to uh, do something like that. And then we've been using Sensible over in uh, Holloway as well. And then sometimes you, um, if you just want to do rhythm section stuff, then you just go into a smaller room and do it that way. So, uh, yeah, it really depends on uh, what's needed at the time. But I think it's still, you know, as I say, I think it's still healthy here at the moment. So, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, th- this is one thing also I discussed with uh, with Nick Young is the fact that now, I mean, traditionally the kind of creative cycle would have been, uh, you know, you go, you lock yourself away, you do the album, then as you start to come into the mix phase, the promotion kicks in and, you know, you're sort of promoting in the lobby of the studio, you wheel in all the journalists and they can kind of access you. So these sort of heading off to the middle of nowhere uh, is, is, is not cost effective in terms of how you actually promote. And because the, the, the creative cycle is so much shorter because you're bringing out all these other supplemental products to the main release that you have to be available pretty much all the time to do the promotion and do the interview and do this, that, and do that, the other. So yeah. in some ways that, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, I definitely do think studios in London are busy for that reason as well. I mean, the project that I'm working on at the moment, you know, we've had press down there, everyone's been down there and stuff like that, and that couldn't be done really if, uh, you know, the artist was out of town and stuff like that. So, yeah, I do agree with you on that one. But I, mean, I suppose if you're thinking, <clears throat> in some respects, that's that can be a distraction because it's almost, you know, if you're signed anyway when you're getting pressure to do the promotion, it can really get in the way of of what you need to do and you end up working really late because uh the, the talent's been doing promotion all day yeah <laughs> but you try and keep it to a minimum but you you know you still allow them to come in otherwise you know they're going to come in at the end and make loads of changes anyway so <laughs> you know. have you not have you not uh, you not got the a&r button then um, down to a fine art and uh, um, well luckily i can <laughs> stay away from all that but uh yeah it, it does uh it does rear its head quite a lot but I, I don't think they're too bad the people i've been working with down at isla records they generally stay out of the way because they you know and oh yeah of course because you're signed to um signed to ireland isn't it which is yeah I mean, so, we've we did a did you see that 50 years of ireland um or 20 years of ireland wasn't it uh um, fif- yeah 50 yeah 50, it was 50 wasn't it it was really brilliant actually and just made me realize how many fantastic acts it must be a great uh sort of well, just boost to be associated with a label like that and have yeah. them behind you. I, I, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I love Isla Records. I've uh, uh, had connection with them for nearly 20 years now. And uh, just, I, I like the style they do things, you know, it's a bit raw. So, um, and the people are still there who I knew from the beginning. So, uh, you know, it's like a little family after a while, really. So it's good. Yeah. But have they got their own studios or do they? You tend no, to they, they just tend to go wherever wherever's needed i think in the um you know with the changes in studios anyway over the last few years you, you know some things get favored for different things we've uh through amy we've been using a lot of uh sensible studios and uh, metropolis so and you know so they're the two studios that they've chosen to use but um other people use different studios and you know so that's it really yeah. i like metropolis actually yeah I like they used to I like as well. I nearly got killed by a steak. <laughs> ended up in, I ended up in Hammersmith, Hammersmith Hospital with steak what? jammed in my windpipe. Oh, I thought it was steak through the heart. <laughs> no, 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 nothing. But... I know. You lot are making my... me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Metropolis is lovely. I remember they used to have one of the very few focus right desks in there. We did a mix. Uh, I think it was actually Vanessa Williams with JJ Allen, who was uh guy who did loads of the specials and all that sort of stuff. And I remember going in there and we were, re- you know, we had to get up at six o'clock in the morning because we got a lockout rate, drove up and, uh, and it stopped working after the bays kind of packed in. So we had to, we ended up sitting around ch- twiddling our fingers. I don't think that desk is still there. Is it the, uh, the focus right one? I'm not sure actually. Uh, there's so many different places I've been in. <laughs> well, I've been at Metropolis. Um, so no, I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, well, but anyway, I mean, well, thanks, thanks very much for that. Um, I think we're probably going to have to um, curtail our topics chat because uh, uh, I've got to have to get get off in a bit. But one thing I am going to have to do, and I'm really embarrassed to ask this, I think I'm going to have to do the intros again because I've got a, my audio recorder f- up and then uh, <laughs> up. You can't say that. But right? I got most. 
than a most of it. Well, bleep, I'll bleep that. And obviously, I'll edit this out. But this is one of the benefits of being here for the live stream at sonicstate.com live. You get to hear all the, the bits uh, nobody else does when it's been edited into a work of art. Yes, indeed. Can you do Dale first? Because he's got a fly. Okay, all right. Well, um, uh, first of all, I want to say hello to Dale Davis, who is a bass player of some note. Uh, he's been, been all over the world with uh, bands like Amy Winehouse and various other people. How are you doing, Dale? Yeah, I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, that was brilliant. <laughs> Dale, you're obviously the master of overdubs. <laughs> you're like a time magician. Yeah, I've been using the Melodyne DNA as well. <laughs> Have you? Nice link. Well, funny enough, we're going to talk about that. But Dale, thank you very much. No, uh, it's and, been a pleasure. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, really it. appreciate it. it. So. <laughs> g4software.com of course for all your uh, uh, g4 software instrument needs which are fabulous so uh, th- thank you for joining us and um, we'll say goodbye to you Dave Spears brilliant thank you very much thanks I- I'm, cre- I'm creating a terrible edit mess for myself I'm going to have to be writing this down I just, ju- I just did an hour either side I'm going to have to work, work that just one just use Melodyne DNA it'll be okay <laughs> yes no, that's a really good idea thank if you very much we all say hello at the same time yeah, then I can, I can performance shift all of you. <laughs> Diego Stocco, thank you very much for joining us this week. Good Nick. It was really cool. Thanks. Uh, PJ Tracy, thank you for joining us this week as well. It was great fun and it just flew right by. Well, I hope you uh, can you know get some rest and, and, uh, and you're not working all, all hours there are for the rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay, bye-bye. And uh, Mark Tinley, uh, thank you for joining us too. And... Um, and making that uh, high-speed dash. You're very welcome, and as always, very enjoyable. Thank you very much. Right, guys, I'm going to um, hang up and salvage the recordings from the various devices that I have and see what I've got, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Hi, you, you guys. It, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Hey, as long as the ads are there, yeah, we'll be fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, and I'm going to play out with Diego Stocco's Experibase. Experibase. <laughs>